Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen and it is the episode after the interview before, so the Oprah interview that everybody was talking about anticipating. It has happened and I think it is fair to say that it is even bigger than anyone expected. Before we get stuck into that, quickly in other news, uh, since the show last week, an investigation has been launched at Kensington Palace into the bullying claims and the way that they were handled. Megan's friends circled around sharing positive stories about her on social media, although one of them did unhelpfully share a photo of Archie, where the Sussexes quickly snapped up the copyright to it to prevent it being used further. Megan won her copyright claim against the Mail on Sunday, who are going to have to publish a front page statement apologising. The royal family continued to visit vaccination centres. Prince Philip is back in the private Edward VII hospital to continue his recuperation. Prince Andrew still hasn't spoken to the FBI. And thank you to all of the listeners who got in touch and let me know other royals who are at or have been in the past at Atlantic College. But we're not talking about any of that week, that this week because we need to talk about Meghan and Harry's interview with Oprah Winfrey. I am your host, Anne Gripper. I have been joined by Daily Mirror Royal Editor Russell Myers, who has been somewhat busy this week. He worked, He's telling me he worked 41 hours straight because he watched the interview in America. Then he watched it in the UK and didn't manage to sleep in between. So Russell, try and stay awake, stay awake for the show, but um, great to have you with us. Hello. I'm very well. I'm very well. I am, I'm, it- I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm full of adrenaline. We're, it's, it's not going to die down in time soon, this story. So need to, this- I need to get some coffee because Mrs. Myers has, has an, can't have caffeine. So there's no caffeine in the house. I've well, been abandoned. You are allowed to go to the shops yourself, Russell. When, I have, when, I'm when not allowed. The, 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 the Daily Mirror uh, bosses have had me chained to the desk for the past few, few hours. Has this been the so, busiest week yet of a mad time in royal reporting for you? You know what? It's not just even been a week. This has been, I'm into my fourth week. Um, because what, what, what did we have? We had baby announcement. Then we had Oprah leak. Then we had uh, Philip going into hospital. Then we've had uh, more Philip, more uh, controversy. Oh, Sussex's divorce statement. Then we had Oprah. Uh, Not divorcing each other. Not just divorcing from the each firm. other, just to clarify, just to divorce from the firm. So then that was all pretty controversial, loads of statements coming out. Then bullying accusations. Statement about bullying uh, investigation. Then the trailers. Then the actual event, and so I, I, don't, I don't know where I am. It shows no sign of stopping either, and we're also delighted to have with us again Sarah Bradbury, um, style queen and friend of the show, and accomplished royal watcher now, who just loves all of uh, to see what is going on. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. So, so far, we, the audience in the UK peaked at 12 million. In the US, it was about 17 million, I believe, and about 50 million people have watched worldwide so far, which, to be honest, I'm slightly surprised it's not slightly higher. However, there have been absolutely acres of newspaper and online coverage. We are recording this Wednesday lunchtime. So yesterday, Tuesday, came the statement from the palace, which I can read in full. Harder to read the interview in full, but I'm sure you'll all have watched that. You're probably um, well aware of the statement as well, but I think it's worth reading it because, you know, there are very few words in it, but they are clearly carefully chosen. The whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. 
While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan and Archie will always be much loved family members. And that was a statement issued by Buckingham Palace on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. So the top, top lady. Now, quickly, before we all get stuck in with our opinions, I'm going to share a few of yours that you sent in in response to the Insta story. There were lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. I'm I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to read all of them, but I'll try to give a reasonable flavour of the kinds of messages that we had. So the Royal Watcher says, neither Harry, Meghan or Oprah have any clue how the monarchy works. Hagen Kate says, the palace defends Andrew but stays mum on racist attacks and strips Harry of security. Tay Wall, the palace and media played Meghan against one another. M Forever 2020 is behind the scenes even worse than we imagined. How ugly is the firm? Am Kerr Molson says, and as, as an American and a person fascinated with the royal family, Team Kate, hands up. Uh, Smith, Susan Stewart did not enjoy Meghan and Harry playing the victim. Coy half stories and Oprah's softballs. Leslie Heinrich, more questions than answers. Um, Indecisive Girl says, how the topic of Archie having the title of Prince was so badly handled. Charlotte Jane Hen- Henry was disgusted and dismayed. Not clear whether it was by the interview itself and the details being shared or the detail of what was being shared and that that was disgusting um sham reed i need clarification on the title of prince was it offered to archie was there ever protection for him um dana marie oh my god i am stunned sad and just feel so bad for everyone uh, jmac prov 169 it feels like megan never understood how titles and royal expectations work how could no one offer help or mental health support to megan that seems very odds um talk about history repeating itself says mike vc with some exploding head emojis amy e tucker so much i was surprised to learn things are so bad with charles and william uh makes me very sad says adrian rutherford um so on and on various different things some people in favor of the sussexes some people against um courtney who got in touch from australia said my personal opinion is that there are always three sides to every story in this case harry and megan's the firm and somewhere between that is the truth so russell you've seen this interview twice now and talked about it for days yeah what what are the bits that have really sort of which are the bits that jumped out at you immediately and then which are the bits that are kind of stuck with you now a few days on that have really sort of oh yes that really is the the heart of it well i think there's you know three three main claims i suppose and uh you've got the claim of racism which will has undoubtedly um become a huge huge focal point of of the interview because it was just so shocking i just cannot get oprah winfrey's reaction you know the camera pans to her and she's like what and it was really shocking i mean my, my jaw was on the floor for the whole two hours watching it uh, live i'm no less stunned having watched it several times and you know again, fully and, and loads of other clips. But the, the, this, this allegation that a senior member of the royal family had a conversation with Harry uh, and commented about how dark their unborn child's skin would be, I think is absolutely extraordinary. And um, we don't know the context, but I'm not too sure whether now, even if the context was explained, uh, that it matters because there's been such a, a level of revulsion 
about that. Um, and regardless of whether, you know, like Thomas Markle said when he was interviewed on Good Morning Britain yesterday, that it may have been a dumb statement. I mean, I don't like that phrase anyway, but let's just stupid say... Question, a, a stupid question, I think he question. called it. He did say dumb statement as well, but he, he also, I mean, he made the point of, you know, maybe it was clumsy. Maybe it's a, a, a foolish, clumsy statement to have made, but I don't really buy that because I think that um, if Harry and Meghan were that aggrieved by it and they knew um, what attention that would bring by telling a global TV programme um, about that, Alligator, about, about the, the, the statement that was made to them, they knew what that attention would bring. Um, so they obviously feel very, very upset about it. And... I think that re- really relates to the comes to the Queen's statement later, but as, as you mentioned about um, recollections may vary, that's going to be very very interesting to see how that is dealt with. Because if that does become an issue, and Harry and Meghan either don't get an apology uh, privately, or they are not satisfied with the way that that internal investigation, if we call it that, uh, goes, then they'll, I've no doubt that they'll hit the nuclear button again. They'll be straight on the phone to Oprah or Gail King and they'll be doing more interviews. This is definitely not, you know, one, one they've had their say and that's it now. They will definitely keep on talking to the media um, if they feel that that's the only way to get their voice heard. The other claim that I think was absolutely breathtaking is uh is megan talking about how she felt suicidal she said um she was five months pregnant and her mental health was at such a deteriorated state that uh, she asked a family member for help uh and then she thought she felt that she needed to be hospitalized also she said she felt she couldn't be left alone and i don't want to live anymore and when you're hearing a young vulnerable woman who is five months pregnant uh, regardless of your opinion of Meghan Markle or Harry or Meghan or any of the royal family, when somebody is saying that in such a public way, I think uh, we've all got to take a step back a little bit and um, and, and realise how on earth it came to this position and um, and how desperate she must have been feeling. So there will be definitely questions to be answered um, within the palace. I don't agree with the fact that this should be all handled in-house because... You know, we, we had a, a very public statement from Buckingham Palace just last week on the bullying allegations surrounding Meghan. They publicly stated that there would be uh, an investigation about the HR practices and about the workings of the palace. And um, at some stage, they would let it be known, um, you know, the workings of that investigation. So how on earth can that not happen if a, a member of staff or a member of the royal family made a, uh, a claim of... Um, their mental health being such a bad state that they needed to, to be hospitalised. And I think that, um, you know, we, we need to understand the inner workings of the palace. So I totally agree with you that those were the two absolutely most shocking elements. And I think, so on the, on the, on the mental health aspect and, the, and also the statement that you're talking about, I think they almost need to revisit their whole HR structure, which is sort of what Megan was saying. She used to be at a union when she was an actress. She had access to sort of um, an advocate on her behalf whereas in the firm you've got the principals you've got the people who are the royals and then you've got the people who work for them and it seems like the HR department is the people that work for them and maybe that's why they felt the statement had to be a bit more public and it's an actual proper investigation whereas this is stuff they feel at the moment which is stuff that affects the family much more and the the family ultimately 
aren't currently governed presumably by an HR department. They're just the Queen is just the boss. I mean, she did fire her own son essentially from his from his jobs, Prince Andrew, after he'd given that Newsnight interview. But it's it operates in a in a different way. But so on the on the mental health front, it's absolutely undercuts everything that William and Harry and Kate have been working on over the last sort of five years with Heads Together and and everything else that they've they've got. And you know, who we don't know who exactly Megan took that to and who it was that said no. And that they felt that no was the answer and that there was no other route, like that they didn't have a route. I I think it's interesting that sort of feeling of powerlessness within this institution because I don't know and Harry whether he sort of felt a bit guilty that he hadn't spoken up more or been more demanding that actually no she really does need help we need to sort this out I don't care what you say I'm fixing this and if you don't sort it out I'm gonna whatever drive her to the priory or drive her to the psychotherapist myself and I I think also that was an interesting like nuance in what she said that she wanted to she wanted to get out and check in somewhere else which is what we see celebrities do sometimes you know if they're struggling they will they will take themselves out of the place you know priory is kind of the the most famous um sort of celebrity center where people go for support really but that's not the only way that you can get help and it sounds like she possibly access to kind of an individual via the sort of the princess diana connection and and friendship later on but it that i I thought that was kind of an interesting that that was the response to kind of get out of the place as the way through it but if you are feeling trapped in that place then maybe you do feel you do feel that is the only only way and clearly to be in that stage where she's telling her husband she doesn't want to live anymore then she was in desperate desperate need of help and that they weren't able to access that help or didn't feel able to access that help is absolutely a huge failing um on the on the race point and again to a certain extent like you said it's hard to even engage around that question because everything about it is so loaded but um Rhoda from Norway was one of the people who got in touch and sort of said there was even that um what's the word contradiction within the interview itself as to whether it was I think Harry said that it was right at the beginning of his relationship with Meghan so this is like idle idle is it idle chatter and a stupid question or is it like I have deep concerns and why are you bringing a mixed race person into the royal family where one so you know one is like gauche and crass and somebody who's not used to dealing with a situation versus someone who has a deep-rooted problem and sees that you know we can't we we cannot have somebody who is non-white giving us future non-white children who are part of the royal family um and it is it is deeply difficult, and I think it's that allegation in some ways is even more damaging because it was anonymized. We only know it wasn't the Queen, it wasn't Prince Philip. Um, I mean, the fact that they said it is, um, you know, if we won't say because it would be deeply damaging, you did kind of think it's probably not going to be Prince Philip because he said so many ridiculous things over the course of his life 
um I, you know which now if, if he said them now there would be an absolute storm about them but at the time they were of their time and he is a man of his generation and probably quite hard to change a lifetime of absolutely putting your foot in it at the age of 99 but not knowing who this person is it sort of damns the whole family which I think is is quite challenging the other thing that I thought aside from those two points which was quite sort of damaging to them as a family was Prince Harry saying Charles stop taking my calls at a sort of a basic human level you're on the other side of the world. You're desperately trying to figure out your life, your future. You felt like your family is under threat and that you've had to escape and you're phoning your dad to try and figure it all out and how to take it forward. And f- to say that, you know, my dad stopped taking my calls. A, like that's a very sort of emotive thing to have happen and not like not something I can even begin to comprehend you know the sort of what a family relationship is like when when that happens but but for him then to share that in public as um as a couple of people kind of said like this interview they blew up their bridges on the way out essentially um there was no a lot of these things there is almost no going back from and they talked about wanting to heal things but they've poured some petrol on the fire and rubbed some salt into the wounds. They have, yeah. I mean, and 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 I think that you look at the Queen's statement, and uh, that's why they took so long. You know, it took two days to actually respond to it, and I think that was the the, the wise choice. Certainly, experience uh, paid dividends in this instance because the Queen didn't want to pour petrol on the fire. Um, we understand there was a statement that had been prepared and that she wasn't prepared to sign off on it, um, and I think that that was a wise choice because. I had said initially, I, did, I, you know, when we were having our meetings on Monday, would we? Well, we were going to get an assessment. Well, we were going to get a reaction, and I and I said my call was, I think, I think they'll wait until the British public have seen it because what's the point of putting out a statement? I mean, it was on at one in the morning till three in the morning. People were only seeing the commentary around it, and it's easy to get uh, caught up in the whole media storm of it, but. Another 12 million people saw it in Britain. No doubt, other you know, many more millions will have seen it on the clips or read the commentary or uh, watched it on catch-up. And they were right to, um, to, to, to take their foot off the gas a little bit and try and, um, you know, to try and calm everyone's tensions. And I think that, that the statement does do that. Uh, it's, I mean, it's only 60-odd words long, isn't it? And it's um, perhaps in its briefness, that that was the genius of it. Um, however, I don't, I don't, I still don't think it settles the matter. I mean, the, the matter is still, uh, you know, there's just so many strands to this interview. We could be talking about it all week. Uh, the, 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 it was it almost seems like the claims of the family being perpetuating falsehoods, and we've, we've almost forgotten about them. Because, and that was shocking at the time when we were seeing those clips. But uh, there's there's just so many strands to it, and I think we need to be able to pick it apart. The family obviously want to discuss many, many of the issues um, in the interview about their feelings, some of which they have wrong. Not necessarily recollections may vary, but the you know the issues around title and security and um, Megan being abandoned that that she said. I mean, I have always spoken to people, not only in the palaces, not only connected to you know the royals themselves, but would would really vigorously 
dispute the fact that Megan was abandoned. She wasn't helped. Um, but as Oprah Winfrey put it, it's their truth. And that, that was their opportunity to put on the record of how they felt. I'm only saying that I think when they're all sat around the table, um, that whole concept of recollections may vary will, will be, will become apparent because they will have to get their view about, um, view across of, of, of what the reality was. Certainly Charles, was very, very fond of Megan. I mean, he walked her up the aisle. He saved her for a, a, an absolutely devastating, embarrassing episode when her own father didn't turn up. He's very, very fond of Megan and has always been. Um, he likes the fact that she's plucky and outspoken. Um, again, disputed in the papers yesterday about whether he, uh, he did cut them off financially. On that point, I don't think there's... Where would the sympathy be for a 36-year-old man who is complaining about being cut off financially? Who's worth the best part of £30 million? Pounds Having anyway? declared that he wanted to be financially independent as well. And, and by saying, well, we, could have only, we only could got, get this house because of my mother's money. Well, you're living in a, 15 million, a $14 million mansion and you've got you know, $50 million in the bank, plus the money that you've just been signing up with Netflix. So, I mean, I don't buy that. And I think they really need to take us, they need to take a step back and realize some of the comments they're making are, not, are inflammatory to, to the, to the public. Um, listen, there is a great deal of support. I think, uh, in the United States where I've been looking at some of the coverage there and some of the commentary and they have been widely applauded. Um, very, very split over here. I think the, it depends where you, where you're looking and who you speak to, but mm. I, um, I don't think this is the last we've heard of it. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest whether they pop up again, speaking to Oprah or Gail King or somebody else, because that's their way of dealing with things now. Um, and the relationships, with the rest of the family are in the gutter uh, and whether there is any way back for them, I, I'm not sure. So I think one of the things that I've been thinking about ever since we saw those um, preview clips last week was that Oasis, and it was an album title. This is my truth. Tell me yours. And, you know, that kind of two sides to every story. Before we move on, and I'm going to get Russell to put the, you know, the, the interview didn't have like a fact check running alongside it. So there are some things that were put out there as statements or implications of this is the way that things are, which we can probably clear up in a little bit. But before um, I ask Russell that, I was just going to ask Sarah, like watching it. And it's, it's quite often said that the young, the young people... As I, as I speak as an aged crone, like the young people are much more sympathetic to sort of Megan and Harry and their, um, their drive to do things differently, speak their truth and all of that kind of thing. So I'd just be interested to see what you thought about it or the, you know, kind of any chat among your, your friends and sort of your generation if you like if there were particular moments that stood out or what the what the mood music has been for you um yeah I mean personally I thought you know everyone has their opinions on Megan but like Russell touched on earlier like you know whether you like or both her I think when she kind of spoke quite openly and honestly about suicide and you know wanting to end it all really kind of struck a chord with me because I've had you know lockdown's been hard on everyone and as she and Megan both Meg sorry Megan and Harry both highlighted 
lockdown for us has only been for like you know since what for a year whereas they felt permanently locked down like she couldn't see her friend she couldn't do what she wanted because it didn't like look right so how we've all been feeling that's how she's been feeling for way longer than just the past year and as someone that struggled with mental health themselves and has like plenty of friends that especially over the past like few months have really struggled it really kind of resonated with me because I just felt like you know what at the end of the day as much as she's married Prince Harry and she's been an actress and she's in the public eye she is a person and yes she might not see everything yes she might not read all the comments but they still hurt and they still mean something and I think Harry and hers choice to move to LA and to move away from it all it was his kind of bit of saying I'm going to save my wife and the mother of my children's life because I didn't have the opportunity when I was younger to do the same for my mum and he always will probably look at Megan and see so many similarities between the way Megan's been treated and the way his mum was treated towards the end of her relationship with um, Princess Prince Charles sorry and I think he just kind of really at this moment was like, do you know what? Enough's enough. I'm done with this. I love you as my family, but I love my wife more and I need to support her and I need to be there for her. And this isn't right. I think it's interesting that kind of who is the rescuer and who is the rescuee because there, there was a really tiny moment when they were out in the chicken barn when, when Megan was just like, I love to rescue. And you're like, she thinks that she has rescued Prince Harry and Prince Harry equally feels like he has rescued her and their family and, and taken them to America for their new life. So that's all. I mean, I, I found the whole sort of fairy tale references towards the end a little bit like being laid, laid on with a trowel by the end. Which, I couldn't. I mean, the, 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 um, what was it? The Little Mermaid reference. Oh, and then yeah. she lo- fell in love with the prince and then she lost her voice. I mean, come on. It was all fairly serious up to that point. I think that bordering on the ludicrous, but you and, know. <laughs> and again, before we move on to to Russell's kind of uh, setting things straight on or, or clarifying on a few different issues, I also just wanted to see Sarah what you thought of how Megan's look came over because this clearly is going to be a an interview that is played through the ages um, that the images have been used as stills across, you know, newspaper pages all this week, all over the internet. So there is, this is going to be as iconic an image of Megan as her wedding day. What, how did you think it, it worked for her in this context? Megan's always kind of been one to really represent female you know, leading designers and um, brands. And, you know, I think when she wore like the Amani dress with the lotus flower, it was quite like a statement, even though it was very plain and simple. Um, I've seen a lot of articles based around like Megan's dress and the lotus flower and the comparisons between like the resilience of the flower and its ability to like flourish and grow even during like just um, challenging conditions. So that was kind of Megan's way of being like, yes, I'm wearing a very simple silk black dress with a lotus flower. However, this flower is representing so much of how I'm currently feeling and how I felt. And this is my moment to kind of like almost flourish herself, you know, and kind of speak her words and kind of speak the truth and what she's kind of always been like hiding behind closed doors and now she feels like no this is my moment I'm gonna bloom with the flower and my dress and kind of say and speak my mind had an interesting message in from ash underscore the heart of it who says um 
this and this was ahead of the interview she said as a makeup artist myself I thought it was an interesting choice well I think she looks beautiful and amazing if I was helping a client choose a look for what will no doubt be an emotional interview I would advise against such a black heavy eye because we all know what happens if you cry unless of course you're looking to increase the drama with running makeup I'll be interested to see if we get the money shot of a black liner soaked tear running down her cheek I wouldn't wear a white dress out in the rain and I wouldn't wear a dark eye look if I thought I might cry um but I think Megan looked remarkably composed, I think, throughout it all. There were a couple of moments where she looked maybe on the brink of of tearing, but she was remarkably composed in what was such a sort of heavy-duty interview, really. Well, yeah, Oprah, I, Oprah, sorry, Oprah interrupted her, didn't she, when she was about to cry? Oh, yeah. That was probably the only part of the, the interview where I thought Oprah kind of missed that big moment I can't remember what it was about probably was it about the suicide it might have been about Archie and the oh, race yeah. question possibly and the sort of how that made it feel I can't, I can't remember which moment yeah it was, I it can't was, but it was it was a big big moment um she nearly went nearly went but she didn't so she was quite sort of strong throughout it um and what did you make of Prince Harry's black socks brown loafers combination <laughs> Do you know what? I don't mind it. It doesn't offend me. I think if he's happy and comfortable wearing that, and Megan's probably seen his outfit and said, "Yeah, babe, you look great. You can you can go on TV to millions of people wearing that. It's fine." You know, and I think she's really had this like laid back Cali look while she's been at home compared to sort of like the more rigid body con dresses you know, certain knee lengths and all this sort of stuff. I think she's kind of been like, do you know what you do? You you wear what you want. I'm not in control of your wardrobe, but he has worn that J crew gray suit quite a few times before. And I think he did get a lot of stick for it, but you know, the first time he wore it was actually with a picture of one of the first pictures we ever saw of Archie and Windsor castle in the church. I think it's St. George's church. Um, that was taken two days after he was born and then he again wore it at the christening and he's worn it at multiple events before. So maybe he's taking, you know, tips from his sister-in-law, the discount duchess herself and wearing <laughs> outfits again. But also maybe he's just thinking, this isn't my moment. I'm just going to wear some raggedy old suit I've had for yonks and just thought you have your moment. You wear Armani, you do what you want. This is, this is your chance. I've spoken before. I've had my moment, but this is all about you. And that's why she was like, boom, silk dress, Amani. And then of course the Cartier bracelets. I can't, can't go without mentioning them. Right. So Russell, time to clarify a few things. Katinka, sorry, Katinka Goncalves says, a question. I was surprised that a title is tied to having a security team and didn't want Peter or Zara to have titles or so we were told at the time. Do they have security? Do Eugenie and Beatrice have security? Do Edward's two children have security? And also from my point of view, I would like you to explain, please, who gets to be a prince or princess? Okay. Now, um, this is quite a contentious point, and, and it depends, depends what side of the you know, coin you land on, because some will say, oh, it's just a misunderstanding. They didn't really get it. Yeah, um, you, you know, some have accused them of not being uh, particularly up with the rules of the monarchy, which is kind of strange because I imagine they have been explained to them now. Uh, the written order, a written order of a letters patent was uh, made in 1917 by George V, the Queen's grandfather. And he declared that only royal offspring who were in the direct line of succession could be made a prince or princess 
and receive titles of his and her royal highness. Now, that means that uh, essentially the grandchildren of a living monarch. It's further complicated by the fact of it. Um, it says something along the lines of the you know the son the sons of the of, of the heir basically. Now the queen came along and designed a new letters patent to 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 make sure that the Cambridge's children were all given those titles. Um, and even with that addition, Archie would have never of become a prince until. Prince Charles became king because it would be the grandsons or the grandchildren of the monarch, which, of course, we are in very different times at the moment because um, this period we are in, we have a monarch and two or three heirs, three living heirs. So that's very, unusual. very, very unusual. So the issue is um, that unless there was another letters patent, um, he would have never have become a prince. He would have never been his royal, or her royal highness. They, I mean, their, their new girl that they're expecting. Um, and I think if the if Meghan, I mean, Meghan kind of touched upon this and said, you know, the rules weren't really the rules weren't the same as as the Cambridge's kids. And uh, of course, she took that that to be a slight because of their children would have become the first um, member of the a person to be born within the royal family who would have been um, mixed race. But I think they've just confused themselves. And I think that is probably the most diplomatic way to put it because this is easily debunked. Uh, maybe their argument would have been, it would have been nice for the queen to design another latest patent and make sure that our children were on an equal footing to the Cambridge children. Well, that doesn't really um, fit with so many levels. Prince Charles has always spoken about a slimmed down monarchy. Uh, he didn't want the uh, the rest of the family to be treated like Andrew's children. And Andrew kicked up a stink many, many moons ago and wanted his children to be princes, princes or princesses and uh, have all the trappings of royal life without doing very much for it. Um, and I don't know whether that's necessarily served Beatrice and Eugenie well, because look at how Zara Tyndall has got on with her life by not having a title and seems arguably to achieve a lot more and have um, be a lot more popular with the, with the public, whether they care about that, I'm not sure. However, um, we were always then told by the Sussex's spokesman that it was their decision not to give their children titles. Um, and now it appears that they did want those titles and they were wanting them under the banner of security. Um, but again, that, that issue of security could have been solved very, very easily if they had been stayed as working members of the family. The, the, the royal family is an institution that is paid for by the taxpayer. They may be fabulously wealthy people, but the pa British taxpayer picks up the bill for an awful lot of things. And the Home Office under the British government is responsible for those bills for keeping them safe. And when the couple, as the Sussexes did, announced that they wanted to step back, or there are even rumblings that the Queen may have been aware of, why would they have put their neck out to say, well, we need to go back to the government with, the, with our cap in hand and say, well, we need a few more million to look after these, this family who don't even want to be in the firm, don't necessarily want to represent the firm full time. Um, it just doesn't work like that. And, he, and, and on that point of being sort of half in, half out, like Megan was saying, 
trying to suggest that they were the same as the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester or um, or Beatrice and Eugene, Eugenie, sorry. Um, it just doesn't work like that because they they do not have full time protection. And Harry's point was he is still a he is still a, a target. The threat level hasn't reduced. He uh, is a former military man and um, and, a se- and a senior figure within the royal family. Well, that costs an awful lot of money to make sure that those people are safe. And if you don't want to be part of it, why should we be paying for it? As Harry and Meghan have a fantastic opportunity to make an awful lot of money for themselves, I think most people will be thinking, well, you should just treat... If you want to b- become celebrities or you don't want to become a member of the royal family, be like George Clooney. George Clooney's bill to keep his family uh, safe must be an absolute fortune. They have uh, you know, half a dozen guards keeping them and the family safe at all times. Well, that's the reality that Harry and Meghan are going to have to deal with. And I think that they should be paying for it themselves. So I think there's a couple of things on this. Why does a baby need his own security? Because surely he's either at home, which is secured, or with the parents who are secured if they are working members of the royal family and, and within the institution there. Well, just to interject there, I think, you know, it's a very convenient truth, isn't it? Because it, 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 I think Meghan was making the point of, well, why is my son being treated differently? And we already know that she f- was feeling very, very ostracised by the family, claiming that they weren't protecting her, not necessarily security-wise, but protecting her for mental health, helping her through the trials and tribulations of, of becoming uh, a member of the family whilst becoming one of the most famous women in the world. So she was using that as to say, well, why are you not... You might not want to protect me, but certainly protect my son and my husband, who is also obviously still... Um, it's still a, a huge issue over threat. Um, again, it's, if they wanted to be part of the family, the, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But I think they need to take some responsibility for their own actions. And there was I, I got that feeling as much as um, I was quite distressed hearing a lot of the things coming from Meghan and Harry's mouths. I, I thought they really needed a bit of a dose of reality in that, in that sense of saying, um, you know, just take it on the chin. You've got loads of money you're going to earn loads of money. So then you've got to get your own private security, especially living in the United States. Or they were coming up with, we want to live in New Zealand. We want to live in Canada, South Africa, maybe the States. Well, they're, these, these protection officers, that's not just their job that they don't have families and lives. They actually would have to be traveling with them all the time. And these people are based within the Met Police in London because they're part of a specialist royalty protection group. Um, and the appetite, to work with the couple in between Windsor and London was very, very slim, let alone traveling all over the world with them. So there was an awful lot of things to consider that they hadn't considered. And I thought that was um, a bit short-sighted of them. Whereas if you applied for a job to be one of George Clooney's security guards, you'd probably get told what proportion of your time would be spent where and you know what you were going into. And the issue was that they just didn't have a plan. They kept they kept you know rallying against the system, saying, "No, oh, the system isn't made for us. We're trying to make it work." Well, they they didn't have a co- a coherent plan in place. And every time, it's my understanding that people were saying to them, "If you've got a plan in place." we would make it work for you or we'd try to help you to make it work. Um, But, you know, how is the Home Secretary or the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police in London supposed to sell that job? Well, you know, someone of that um, age range and experience of the job 
is most probably going to have a family life. So therefore, you know, the, the, the pool of people was, was, was further um, diminished. Um, a big, like kind of a, something that's become totemic, but also at a base level is very kind of normal and slightly playground-ish is who made who cry over the bridesmaids' dresses and the run up to the wedding. And I'm a little bit, probably everybody was crying because Kate was like, was she really pregnant or just recently had the baby? Um, you know, and uh, stress in the run up to a wedding, particularly when your dad's been an idiot and then been poorly. And, you know, there's all of this going on and there's the world looking at you. Um, but clearly the fact that this story emerged, Megan felt wronged by it. And the fact that the palace wouldn't step in to say, no, this wasn't the case was something that, I mean, I think she called that particular aspect a turning point. Um, but it's, I mean, in Russell, is this sort of, do we, you know, are people standing by the original story about, you know, that, that at some stage Kate was left in tears or is it very much, no, okay, well, maybe we did get that wrong and... No, I mean, all, all I can say to you is anyone that I've ever spoken to about that instance that was first revealed in the Telegraph and then, re- then followed up in other newspapers. Um, so it wasn't a tabloid story. You know, this whole tabloid bashing that was a, a constant rhetoric throughout the whole interview, um, I thought was unfair. Perhaps I would say that I work for one, but I can only speak for ourselves and we're here to defend the industry, I've, you know, I've been on record saying that some of the things about avocados or straight out of Compton or gangster royalty were, were and are frankly ludicrous. However, that initial story about the bridesmaids dress fitting um, still stands. And I think that that will be another one where you're talking about varying recollections because um, nobody has ever, ever heard that. And I point you to the fact of uh, the book Finding Freedom definitely didn't have that. And certainly that would have been an opportunity to, uh, for those authors to be supplied with that detail um, to have a bit of point, set, you know, point scoring, settling, whatever. Uh, and it wasn't in it. And it, was, it, was, it, it painted a picture of there being a lot of emotion on the day. Obviously, weddings are very stressful. Uh, Kate had just had Louis. Um, Tensions were running high, but nobody I know has ever, ever heard that. So that's my truth. And that's, that's all I can say. That's your understanding <laughs> of the picture. Right. Now on to my favourite one, actually, which is Megan saying that essentially they were already married when they got married and that they'd had a wedding in their back garden and all of this stuff. And how did that, what did you make of that, Sarah? Well, I've seen things on Twitter and I think you sent through a link. It's not, if there's no one else there, so it was just genuinely Archbishop, was it Canterbury they had or she mentioned? Uh, Archbishop Canterbury, yep. Meghan and Harry, that's not legal. You have to have two witnesses, am I correct? And you have to be married inside in the Church of England. And they, and they were married in their garden. Married, I'm doing the air quotes thing at this stage. So all of the, this is making me think, is it's like Danny and Sandy in Greece, you know, the, the line from the song, then we made our true love vows. And that. 
I'm is... going to have to interject there. This is this is a public service announcement. I, I won't sing again singing. ever. <laughs> I, I wasn't intending to. It was an accident. But I just can't. I can't not do it. I love that song. Definitely. I'm looking forward to come out from I'm looking, I am looking forward to being. <laughs> uh, I am looking forward to being back at a wedding disco where we're all absolutely oh, smashed all? and hammering that out on the dance floor. But there we go. I just, but I just I just think you know it's very sweet and clearly that was a special moment and very private and I can understand why that is the picture that they've got up on their wall rather than the pictures that they see in the media all the time from their from their wedding which have an entirely different thing you know I mean the, the picture that I've got up in my bedroom from my wedding day is one where it's just me and my husband when we went off on a little drive down to the point and had some lovely pictures taken and it's sort of you know it is a quiet moment it's an intimate moment and I can un- I can understand that they wanted to have that ahead of this big spectacle but I think lots of the stuff that she said about her wedding generally and the sort of like out of body experience or you know we wanted something that was just for us and this was for the world I think that's probably something that lots of brides and grooms feel that at some stage in the rush it's like oh my goodness this is just such a big palaver we should just None of this stuff really matters. Or, we should ditch these guys. Ditch yes, these guys let's and go do to our Vegas. own thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I thought, the, again, the turn of language was probably unfortunate, wasn't it? I mean, I had two weddings and I treat the non-legal one as the wedding. So, the, the, as in, that was, and it was kind of the reverse. But I get what she means. It was, it, to her, that was them getting married. It doesn't matter whether it was the legal part or it wasn't inside. That was them getting married. So I just think, as, as a lot of people said this week, there are more important things to be worrying about. Um, and perhaps that's what the Queen thought as well. Not pouring petrol on the fire, perhaps. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's perfectly sweet. I just think it's a bit off to call it like we were you you cannot sedate as we were already married or we'd already got married then yeah but in her mind they had i i don't have i don't have an issue with this because she it was a spectacle i mean some people are saying well why the point what what the hell was the point of doing the big yeah but it was pretty cool it was a great day wasn't it and it was Everyone loved it. Millions of people around the world. It probably did the the monarchy a bigger favour than they've had in years. Having well, that ex- a big spectacle in the short being shown. term, and then it's all turned to ashes. And yeah. it, it reminds it reminds me a lot of the of the Princess Diana documentary and um, the conversation I had with the sort of the creator of that a, f- a few episodes and half half a lifetime ago. Um, and where she, Diana had sort of said, looking back on the wedding, it was like the worst day of her life, essentially, and that was clearly because her marriage was never destined to last there were you know there were problems as for them as a couple from the very start which is not the sense that you get from harry and megan but it the the sort of you know being that part of royal life that was kind of the the high point for them in some ways but possibly things had already gone a little bit wrong um so there were some sweet moments in there as well. We find out that they're going to have a baby girl, a little sister for Archie. Although some people, again, are sort of like the, oh, they want privacy and then they're announcing like the the baby's gender before the baby's arrived out on the telly to everybody. And I think, you know, it does go back to that question of they want to control their narrative about what they share with whom and when. Fine, that's how they want to play it. Um, and then we saw the 
very cute black and white footage of Archie playing on the beach with like the, you know, the thing for throwing the balls for the dog. Um, and, you know, it has been very clear. They've used, you know, they've used black and white a lot always. And in fact, there was that other picture that they uh, released via Miss and Harriman as well of um, Harry and Meghan in the garden as part of their sort of baby bump photo shoot with um, big, a big kutch hug for, for Archie, but you couldn't see his face. So they are clearly intent on protecting and controlling his privacy and limiting quite how much is out there. But, and, and the kind of the discussions that Megan highlighted in the interview about um, someone from the Royal family questioning what color his skin would be, then you wonder whether there is an additional element to this sort of choice of using black and white photography and the sort of the stylized cut type image they did for their Christmas card, which sort of hides that kind of thing. So before we finish, I want to talk about the sort of, I guess the sort of the legacy of it and where we go from here. Because so in the run up to it, I was very much of the mind of, I don't think this is going to change people's minds. You either think like Harry and Meghan have done the right thing, good on them for escaping. It was probably pretty horrible. Um, They're better off out of it. Or you're thinking, Harry and Meghan, they've let down the queen. Why have they gone away? Now they've made their bed and they can lie in it. But let's let the royal family get on with their job. So I I was thinking like, has the interview given the sort of shocking level of you know particularly the sort of the suicide and the race question that were raised will that have changed people's minds Um, and I think probably this is something I will put up on a, a poll on the Instagram because I think I don't think it will necessarily have changed people's minds from one side to the other I think it will potentially for Megan and Harry, for people who are already on Megan and Harry's side, I think it will have strengthened and hardened up that view. For people who were previously sort of on the royal, more on the royal family side of things, I think it means they will be prepared to give the royal family the benefit of the doubt that they will. And I think prob- I think probably this is how this is probably me channeling how I feel and, and assuming that everybody else is going to feel the same thing. I think I'm prepared to give them the benefit of the doubt that they made some horrendous errors but didn't mean to and that they should have a chance to fix this. Um, so I think that that's kind of how I feel about things. Do you think it will have changed people's minds, Russell? I think if the there are questions to be asked of the royal family, um, potentially their attitudes, the, the way that they treat family members, um, two very, very vulnerable family members. And I think that it's a generational thing as well as a bit, as well as a, um, an issue between US and UK now. But there are, there are generational shifts happening across the world, not only in this country, that archaic institutions like the royal family will need to get on board with to stay relevant. You've already got uh, reports overnight that new polls in Australia, 62%, are um, are in favour of a republic. I'm I'm not too sure whether. I mean that seems incredibly large. I'm not too sure, but it, you know there may be a groundswell of um, of change in that sense. Um, and do does a monarchy fit in with modern Britain or a modern world? I'm not sure whether 
you know, this, this, um, a lot of people may, may, may think that it isn't. And that's a, that's a very, very strange scenario to be because, as much as um, you know, the younger generation have really sort of dragged the monarchy into the twenty first century. This is this is a crisis that is the worst in decades, regardless of the Queen's statement released yesterday, which, as I've said, killed them with kindness. But let let the door open, um, not only for them but also for a challenge of their version of events. Uh, it's not going to go away, and people will be monitoring it very very closely. Um, and in the court of celebrity, which matters to a, to a lot more people than the monarchy, um, maybe Meg, maybe Meghan and Harry will uh, will win the day. I think that it's it's just all over the place at the moment, and and at its base, it's a very very sad situation. And we've witnessed the disintegration of a family before our eyes. Whether that will completely, I think people are pretty entrenched, aren't they, in their view? Um, I haven't really met many people that have changed their opinion after watching that either way. So, um, so I guess we'll, ju- we'll just wait and see. Cliffhanger. Um, do you think it will have changed people's minds, Sarah? I don't know. I feel like you either love or you aren't really that bothered by the royal family at all. I think my fascination kind of came with the William and Kate era. And then obviously then you kind of watch Harry go through his ups and downs of somewhat a growing phase of things we won't mention nazi uniforms but he kind of become like you know a whole new man and you've seen that flourish through but the amount of people on my instagram alone championing um megan for just speaking her mind speaking the truth i think there'll be a whole new flourish of royal supporters but more team megan and harry i know we're not supposed to pit them against each other but i feel like you know even though william and kate are doing incredible things for charities and kind of their zoom calls and keeping up to in touch with people i think even though meg and harry had their own projects going on sideline i think many more people will kind of take megan seriously and almost want to champion her for just speaking her mind and being quite honest and the truth so on the um on the polling her truth truth. yeah sorry her truth no and it is easy done because and I, I think that is that is a big Personal big issue story. because because um, a lot of people will will just believe wholeheartedly. Take it as gospel. Well, yeah, of course, and and that's really difficult, isn't it? Because the the old adage of the royal family is never complain, never explain. And why did we need to hear? Some will say, why did we need to hear? Um, the story about Kate making her cry. They could have, she could have easily said that story and said that it wasn't, it was exactly, it was different to how it was described. And, but they've, by bringing Kate into the story is quite controversial. And she knows full well that the Duchess of Cambridge will not be able to respond and will choose not to respond to that allegation. And, they also know full well that I don't that the Queen wouldn't or the family wouldn't respond to many of the allegations that they that they put forward. Um, certainly about the the mental health aspects has opened up a whole can of worms. And maybe we should be hearing about this publicly. But 
Yeah, I just I find I find that that concept of it, which I why I, I liked the fact that Oprah Winfrey said your truth. And as you said earlier, that there are three sides to every story. Um, but, uh, but a lot of people, I, I mean, look at the American press this week. It's been wildly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pro-Sussex? Pro-Sussex. And I, I think a lot of the sort of um, reasoning has gone out the window. But then if you look at ours as well, I, th- I think, you know, the mirror has been really balanced. Today, especially, we've spoke, we've led on the Queen's sadness whilst also laying in the um, the essence of what the Queen said about recollections. Whereas you look at the Mail and other papers, which, which again, maybe what you would presume that they'll be like this, but strip them of their titles, polls declare that, you know, everyone hates the Sussexes. Well, do they? I mean, I think that people are being a bit more nuanced. Um, I don't know. Maybe I've been up to too long. No, well, I think, I think it's interesting. But so where where do we go from here? Can the mantra, can the palace mantra of never complain, never explain, continue in the twenty first century? Um, I know that part of the part of the issue is that there are, you know, clearly there are so many stories now, and sometimes the argument is you don't want to get into running commentary on this that or the other and you don't want to have to spend all of your time saying yes or no to everything but should they be a bit more upfront about things and have fewer sort of insider source blah 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 and actually actually kind of just be a bit more open about stuff or does that take away the mystery of the monarchy takes away the mystery but i think that you know we're all all forgetting like what this happens in sports journalism it happens in political journalism it happens in every every facet of the media, we don't need to have celebrity. You know, this is always working with agents or football agents or celebrity agents. There are are always sources. And this is what makes um, our job so interesting, but also why the, you know, it's, it's dealt with on the, on the, on the, um, the majority of times by professional people. We are dedicated to the craft of actually telling truthful stories and dealing with people who don't peddle falsehoods. Now, the, the, the problem for the for Palace is, why would they comment on every story? Why would the Downing Street comment on every story? It, do, it doesn't work like that. Um, so I don't think there'll be a wholesale change of how the media operation is operated um, by Buckingham Palace. I think... I don't think it will change. I think that there will have to be internal changes and that will be a part of you know, an HR department maybe set up. I mean, people who were way before me in this game told you know, there were huge, huge changes after, or, after Diana came in and after her death as well. Um, they, the whole sort of machine changed around palace communications and maybe that will need to be certainly adapted and maybe there are sort of internal processes will have to be adapted. But um, I I, I think that we're not going to see this tit for tat explosion of words within, within the public sphere, because I just don't think it will benefit anyone. Even if there continues to be a sort of a a tat, tat, tat periodically from the other side of the Atlantic. Well, I mean, you know, as one person put it to me, and I, I disagreed with them because I did think it was a war of words, certainly um, with, with the bullying allegations, then the palace statement, with the public inquiry being launched 
essentially then the 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 Oprah Winfrey interview and now this I mean that it's it's a war of words but someone was saying well how is it a war when there only one side are doing all the heavy lifting um i.e the Sussexes uh so uh, I I don't I I think I think they will they've tried to take the wind out of everyone's sails the palace by releasing this statement just one other point which was being mentioned to me quite a lot on um Instagram and Twitter um I I don't know what on earth the holiday parties are what? because I was you know Megan said all the all the media are being invited to, to holiday parties by the palace <laughs> we're being wined and dined like a Henry VIII banquet where well, I, I I can uh, I can exclusively reveal that I am refuting the allegations that I've been wined and dined eating hog roast and swigging champagne Palace. Surviving on flapjacks and decaf tea at home. <laughs> yeah, I know what an existence. Ridiculous. Uh, no, I think is... again, Megan probably got a bit confused. And sometimes there are receptions, like you would have the White House correspondence dinner, or you may have a drinks reception at the ambassador's house while we're still working. Nobody's lording it up like uh, Lord Fauntleroy or whatever. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's exactly. A, like, exactly. It's, an, it's an occasional thing that's out yeah, of the norm no rather being, than a standard. It's not like if you come to this drinks reception, you better write kind stuff about us because I'm sure on the whole, um, like political journalists, um, all good royal correspondents are operating without fear or favour, and um, and I think we've lost a bit of the a bit of um, the uh, the understanding of that, unfortunately. I just want to know if. You know, the Queen, Prince Philip, Charles, Camilla, Kate and Wills were all watching it like an episode of Gogglebox, like the Malone family had oh, some yes. fondant would... fancies, some rich teas, you know, maybe a foot of a mason hamper on the go. Just, just all like so just good. having a chat about it. Oh, God. <laughs> Behind the sofa, I think oh, they would have been watching it from. Do you episode? Russell, I know that on originally on Sunday night it was like, no, the Queen won't be watching it. She'll get a briefing at breakfast. After mm. all, exploded. Do you think they? Do you think some of the royal family will have watched it on Monday night? Yes, or? yes, I imagine they will have done. I mean, the Queen it was reported that the Queen was um, had taken the decision not to watch it, um, and you know, we, we, we'd been speaking out last week that she was going to receive a breakfast briefing. I, did that story on Saturday. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, she has people to do that for her. And I, no doubt she may have watched the uh, a, a highlight reel because not all of it may have been of, um, of complete interest. Undoubtedly, people have watched it. And they'd, I think they'd be telling porkies if they said that they weren't going to. It's a, it's a huge moment for the, uh, for the history, for the recent history of the royal family. There were allegations about members of the royal family in it, and then other worrying um, claims that they need to address um, internally. So, uh, again, we're, we're going to be we're going to be talking about it for a while. I, don't, I think you know, it has died down a little bit. It was like when Meghan and Harry kind of spoke about they'd seen the crown, and especially season four, which is quite one for I guess Harry in the fact that it features heavily on his mother and how his father and they met and the birth of yeah. him and his brother. I mean, and, they, and you know, they did talk about The Crown, but it's, they can't talk objectively about Netflix show. They, can't, they no. just can't because they're, they're paymasters now. So they're not going to put the boot in, are they? So um, it is what it is, I suppose. I, I'm not sure, too sure 
that will have gone down too well in the Palace. But I think everyone needs to be a bit realistic by thinking that they're, they're, they're taking sack loads of cash from Netflix. So they're not going to be standing on a platform criticising them, are they? Do you think that yesterday's statement draws a line under it for the Palace and they will be, a- they will be able to, to not comment further? Or do you think they will have to, at some stage, you know, say something else or have someone do a mea culpa i i asked i asked a stupid question because i didn't rea- I, I didn't realize it was offensive i was just cu- you know i was curious or whatever like the i mean the, the, nobody's going to do that unless we know the full context of it and then people can make their own decisions because to to, to do that will be absolutely catastrophic for, for the individual and potentially the institution um i think that the palace would be naive to think this is the end of it i mean it's it, it's a pretty explosive interview uh over two hours of you know really saying some serious serious things um you know palace said yesterday that they were going not be not commenting further on this i think we'll we'll definitely see some more stories around palace attitudes um in the coming weeks and I would presume that Harry and Meghan will be prepared to speak publicly once again, whether it's to Oprah or whoever, if they do not feel that their grievances are being listened to. And the other argument is why should they care anymore that they've left? But they obviously felt the need to air these, these grievances in public. And if the, the Queen says they're going to be dealt with privately as a family, if they don't get the answers or the... Um, apologies if that's what they're looking for if they don't get that then then maybe they will go public once again and then we'll be talking about it all over again i know and i was i was also thinking like this interview is exactly why we have continued to carry uh, to cover harry and Meghan even since they left left the royal family because what they do has a huge impact on on Britain and the future of the monarchy and everything to do with that. Because, you know, the the people who will be cheering loudest this week are those who campaign for Britain to become a republic. You know, the, the, there was always going to be a big enough challenge in the future when the queen is no longer the queen and Prince Charles presumably accedes to the throne. He doesn't, he doesn't have the same level of popular sort of support and understanding as the Queen, and you know, it's sort of said in Australia that people in Australia who support the mo- who support the monarchy they are Elizabethans more than monarchists. They support the Queen more than they support the institution. So there's a challenge overseas in places where the the Queen is currently head of state, and then there is there is a challenge at home as to how that will be and how things how things changed and how everything lands after Harry and Meghan's absolutely explosive discussion will be will be interesting to see i mean arguably the simplest way for the royal family to comment on this further will be if they do manage to straighten things out with harry and Meghan. harry and Meghan are happier and contenter with their answers and um are able to sort of almost harry and harry and Meghan are the ones who are um saying you know things are much things are much better now we've managed to heal those relationships and and on we go but we we will be watching it eagerly as ever I mean I know I've been saying this for weeks but maybe things will calm down this week and then next week I can share one of our nice interviews that we've done with some very special guests because we probably all just need to to calm down a bit and that Russell might be hibernating by then anyway I would imagine because he's he'll have been working for days one good question 
in from the gallery from Dan Jackson. Is Prince Harry yeah. still going to be coming for the unveiling yeah. of the Diana statue? And how do we think all that will go down? Because obviously, you know, the public engagements are pretty awkward Whoa. anyway for the royal family at the moment after Prince Charles's little awkward chuckle when he was asked about how things had gone this week. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great question, Dan. And I mean, on the one hand, how on earth can Harry stand next shoulder to shoulder next to his brother when he's just been trashing the family for two hours? And, uh, and, so, and, and Meghan's made some pretty damning allegations about um, his wife or his brother-in-law, his sister-in-law, sorry. I think it's pretty, pretty difficult, isn't it? I mean, Harry has said that he will make every effort to get back to um to the to the UK for this unveiling of the statue. Um whether that happens, I mean Megan said that she is due in the summer, didn't she? So maybe she's due in June if the baby is born in in that month. Would Harry leave her after two, three, four weeks? Probably not. Not sure. Um and obviously we don't know whether the issue of a uh, coronavirus is still going to be pretty big. So mm. I don't know. Should we have a bet? Oh, dangerous game. I bet he will want to go, but will not go because of the baby. That's what I reckon. Or that will be the public reason anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. Handy. Something like that, yeah. uh, uh, But again, if he doesn't go, then it will be made, it'll be a massive, massive deal. Maybe he will come to, to, uh, and just put it on for the cameras. Um, Close. It's not it's not that long away, is it? We're in March, April, May, June. Three months. Three and a half months. So, you know. Interesting. Uh, a week is a long time in politics oh, and in royalness. So Do we is anything else gonna happen or are they all just gonna hibernate and be sorting out this this chaos for the next week? Well, I, mean, I hope they just just hibernate for at least a week. I need a week off. This is just right. madness. <laughs> but I don't know. We have, there's nothing on the books at the moment. Um, there is no big events. I don't think we're going to be hearing any more statements. You know, there might be certain, we might get an indication in a few weeks about how initial conversations have, have gone. So, um, yeah. And obviously Prince Philip is in hospital, isn't he? So that'll be the main, the, the, the family's attentions are very, very focused on Prince Philip getting better. And we all wish him well, because he's, he's entering his fourth week in hospital now. And uh, and no doubt, um, you know, people will want to see him back back on his feet. Well, as your expert said last week, though, hopefully that you know his transfer to St Bart's, the heart specialist place, was a was a good sign, and him having had the operation and recuperating is also hopefully a good sign. So fingers crossed for a speedy recovery, both for Prince Philip and for relations within the family as they try to sort out a right royal mess and crisis um who knows what we'll be talking about next week but we will be bringing you something sarah and russell thank you very much for joining us this week and sharing your thoughts on the big interview Make sure you're following Russell on Twitter at RJ Myers for all of the Royal Latest. And if you haven't already, then it is well worth signing up for our Royal Newsletter at mirror.co.uk forward slash email. So a daily dose of all of the headlines to keep you up to speed. I think we might have sent out a few extras this week just because there has been so much going on. So, well, we'll be back next week. Stay safe, stay well. And until next time... Pod save the Queen!